0: Please turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and as you're finishing flipping there, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh God, there is no God but you. There is no one like you, nor is there anyone worthy of worship, nor is there anyone who is good but you and you alone. You are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray for a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit on this congregation. We need it. We need you. We need spiritual renewal. We need repentance that leads to life, to more of the eternal, abundant life that you promised. Lord, we ask that you would uh, manifest and realize this promise in our midst more and more and cause the church in the whole world to be stirred up and to catch fire again like it often has in many places, but it didn't last long enough, we would say. So Lord, we pray that your will would be done. And we ask that you would first convict us of our sins so that we can rend our hearts and not our garments and make this building... Even our bodies, a temple where the Holy Spirit is pleased to fill. Amen. Acts chapter one. Your your uh, bulletins say authority, apostleship, and the apostolic hermeneutic. So I guarantee you we'll get through the first point, and I guarantee you we won't get to the second or the third. So. David uh, updated the title to Authority and Ascension. Authority is, in a sense, the number one issue in our lives. Who is God? Is it me or is it thee? Acts chapter 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach Not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, not many days from now. In fact, at the time of that statement, ten more days. Verse 4. We're going to camp here a minute. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Brothers and sisters, why ordered? Why not told or said or asked them to do it? In our culture, we tend to resist two things. People who act as if they have authority over us. Can I get an amen? We hate it, right? and people who come across as though their opinions or ideas are better than our own. Can I get an amen? amen. Right? Why is that? There are at least three reasons. Distrust that comes from bad experiences. Okay, that's understandable, right? You've been, everybody's been burned by a boss, by a parent, by a pastor, right? The flesh, the flesh is at war with God, and God is the king of all creation, and the flesh being at war with God wants to sit on the throne that only belongs to God. There's something about the flesh that wants to name us the master, but instead it's sin that rules over us, and that is manifested, especially in our culture, it's accepted, This is the third reason. We live in a culture that generally and broadly accepts the idea that there is no existence or primacy or authority of God. One of the consequences of that is that we, even we Christians, tend to make the mistake of not recognizing God's authority in the leaders God appoints to minister to us, bosses, pastors, governors, whoever. In doing so, in the words of the Lord of the prophet Samuel, we reject not man but God. So why did Jesus order them instead of just ask them? Is there anybody who's read this before and who's actually kind of uncomfortable with like Jesus giving orders and who kind of wishes that he would say, you know, come little children, please do this, friends? Has anybody had that thought before? Mm -hmm. You've probably felt it in your heart, even if you haven't admitted it. I am sure you have. Jesus Jesus ordered them instead of just asking them, because that's just not the way it is. And the disciples had been with him long enough that they knew it. He was not an ordinary man. In Mark chapter one, verse 22, everyone was astonished at his teaching. Because he yelled, no. Because he was a fiery preacher, no. Because he dominated everybody else and drowned drowned out their voice, no. Because he taught them as one who had authority and not as their scribes, and they could feel it in the air, they could sense the authority of Jesus. And when you've truly been with him, when you've approached the throne of God, you feel it and you know it beyond the shadow of a doubt. And your soul cries out, have mercy on me, a sinner, and have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. He was not an ordinary man. He is not an ordinary man. And he is not an ordinary king. In Exodus nineteen five. God said to the people of Israel, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine. All the earth is mine. That goes against this modern doctrine that is. Prevalent out there that the earth belongs to the prince of darkness and heaven belongs to God and we're going to get vacuumed up into heaven, right? But that's not a biblical teaching. The biblical teaching is that there is a prince of the power of the air, that is a prince of the spiritual world, the spiritual realm here, but he's a prince and not a king. And Christ alone is the king of kings, in Exodus 19, 5, God the Father declared, all the earth is mine. He tacked it under the end of the sentence just as a reminder. In fact, that exact phrase is repeated, uh, that almost that exact phrase is repeated throughout the Pentateuch, the Psalms, and the Prophets, and in the New Testament uh, at least like seven times or something. In Daniel 2:21, Daniel prayed and he said, He changes times and seasons. He removes kings, and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. God is the king of kings. All the earth is his. The disciples knew this, and they recognized the authority of Jesus when he gave them this command. Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, which means do, follow, practice, make it your way of life, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Echoing the words that he spoke to Joshua, uh, to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy 31, um, I am with you always. The disciples identified Jesus with the God of the Jewish scriptures, the Lord of all the earth, the Lord of life and death, and the one who had been given all authority in heaven and on earth to command them to do according to his holy will. Oh, that we would have the heart of the disciples to be resolved to obey the Lord no matter the cost. We must, for spiritual renewal in our congregation, together resolve to wake up daily when you find your flesh has sort of become your king overnight, as it were, to resolve daily, to set apart Christ in your hearts as Lord. This is how we make our bodies a place where the Holy Spirit is pleased to dwell. Resolve again every day, because it's not a one-time commitment that's made at an altar call. We must resolve every day to fully obey Christ in everything, no matter the cost. The Gospel of John, in John chapter 20, records the exact same moment that the disciple, the exact moment that the disciple Thomas perceived that Jesus is the king of life and death, making him equal to the God of the Old Testament. John chapter 20, verse 27 So is my Lord and my God in your heart towards Jesus? Is that the daily posture of your heart? If not, we need to cry out to God for spiritual renewal. Are you still treating Jesus as an ordinary man, or has he become your Lord and God? Having all authority in heaven and on earth, Jesus commanded the disciples to go in the power of the Holy Spirit to make disciples of all nations, teaching them to do all that he has commanded as written in all the scriptures. If I don't study the Bible every day, how will I understand what to do? I need the word of God To speak, I need the Holy Spirit to speak to me through the scriptures every day, or the gravity of my depravity will bring me down. Amen. And if I'm not resolved to fully obey Him in every situation, how can I call myself a Christian? Think that through theologically. If I'm not resolved to fully obey him in every situation. How can I call myself a disciple? We'll see in the book of Acts that it was at such and such a place that the disciples were first called Christians. All Christians are disciples. If you're not a disciple, are you a Christian? A disciple is a follower. If I'm not fully resolved to have Christ as my Lord in any and every situation, no matter the cost, If I'm not decided, and because of the flesh, which is at war with God that is in me every day from the moment I wake up, I have to be renewed in that. It's the daily prayer of the Christian. Acts chapter 1, verse 6. So when they had come together... They asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Why did the disciples think that Jesus was going to come and sit on the throne in Jerusalem and restore the political independence and military supremacy of Israel like it had in the days of old under the kings, Saul and David, and Solomon, and then to a lesser extent when the kingdom was split under Rehoboam and Jeroboam and all those that followed? Why did they think that? Were they bad students of the Bible? After all, Jesus had said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Truly, I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So what were they to expect, you ask? This was authority to govern, to reign, not authority to sentence and punish. Revelation 20 verse 4 says, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. I would urge you to believe that that is a uh, not an exact 1,000 years, 365 days times 1,000 to, to the hour, but that it is uh, a length of time designated by the Holy Spirit until the return of Christ. These are, these are the disciples that Jesus breathed on and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He Like he breathed into Adam the breath of life, he breathed into them spiritual life. They were dead. Spiritually, you were dead. When Christ breathed upon you by the Holy Spirit, you came to life. Christians reign in this life. And even if we're martyred, we reign in life and in death. Revelation 24, they came to life. That's you. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, what about Pilate? When Jesus was brought before Pilate in John chapter 18, that Roman magistrate was very concerned that Jesus viewed himself as the king of the Jews. Did he? Yes. Did some of the Jews view him as their king? Yes, Yes, some. Pilate was very concerned that his followers were going to topple the Roman government in rebellion. This was not an unfounded fear. Pilate entered his headquarters and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? You can see him squinting. Maybe he's getting ready to give orders to strike him down, right? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? The kingdom of God is in this world. The kingdom of God is not just in heaven. The kingdom of God is in this world, but it is not of this world. The kingdom of God is everywhere Jesus reigns. Where is that? All the earth is mine, saith the Lord. The kingdom of God is everywhere that God's will is done. Where is that? We're getting, we're getting fewer everywheres because there's the will of God that permits evil to continue under the sovereign hand of his purposes for a time until he comes to judge and silence and sentence. And then there is the will of God that is willingly obeyed. That's us, the people of God, willingly coming to him saying, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your will be done. A daily prayer for the Christian. The kingdom of God is the people who offer ourselves freely in the day of his power. Psalm 110, verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. And the day of his power was the day of his ascension into heaven when he sat down at the right hand of God. And this is happening right here in Acts chapter 1. As it is written in Psalm 110 verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, this is the psalmist writing, God the Father says to my Lord, God the Son, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's the fulfilling of the promise that Christ, the snake crusher, will lay his heel on the head of the servant as one rests one's foot upon a stool. It's the promise of the victory and the fulfillment of the prophesied supremacy of Christ over all creation. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Thus, God the Father raised God the Son from the dead, and he was lifted up into heaven and sat down on his throne to reign by pouring out the Holy Spirit onto his disciples and usher in a new era of power for the church to be his witnesses and to make disciples in all the earth. And as we will see in the book of Acts, to rule over sin and sickness and the devil. Was there still sin? Was there still sickness? Was there still the devil? Yes. And yet, the reign of Christ was manifest now, even over these very things. Yes. Hebrews 1.3 says of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God. Yes. Think, of the glo- think of God in heaven like in Revelation chapter 4, which if you haven't studied it and meditated on it, while well, you're going to sleep, you should for many days think of God the Father on his throne in revelation 4 and the the radiance of the rainbow about him and if you combine daniel 7 with revelation 4 there are there's thunder and lightning there's the river of fire coming out from his presence. If you combine it with elsewhere in Revelation, there's the river of life coming out from his presence. He is the life giver through the Holy Spirit, and he is the judge. He judges with fire, and he baptizes with fire we who are cleansed like gold and precious stones passing through the fire, cleansed of our dross and our sin, and refined, as, as silver is refined in a furnace. So the word of God refines us daily by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Think of the brightness before him. If you remember the eclipse from, what, two years ago? I saved my little solar glasses. You know, they got the little cardboard glasses with the plastic inserts. And, uh, and it's like super thick or super dark plastic. And you're supposed to be able to look at the sun Uh, through the glasses, of course, and then you could see the eclipse. It was a partial eclipse here in Ohio. Um, I saved them for the next eclipse because I missed that when it was cloudy, I think, and I'm hoping for another one. In Revelation 1, Jesus appears. His face is like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God that can mean nothing but he has the same glory that the Father had with him before the foundation of the world. John 17. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Not as a subordinate ruler or as like certain modern cults would have you believe, like one who became like God or was invited uh, once he became holy enough or attained to perfection or godhood, was somehow brought up there with God. Not like that but in the Trinitarian teaching of the Orthodox Church, he himself is God. Mark sixteen nineteen says, So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. Verse 7, He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Could we get the map up again, please? You will receive power to be my witnesses in all Judea, in in Jerusalem and in all Judea, if you, you can draw a circle if you want, and uh, draw a circle on your map. You can use your little blue ballpoint pen to cover over the little dot for Jerusalem, if you please. And then around it, in approximately these proportions, this is all Judea. I'm getting that pretty close. Okay. Jerusalem's kind of in the top right corner of Judea. Jerusalem, one point, all Judea and Samaria that extends farther, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, is symbolically the center of all of the end of the earth. And so Acts is the history of the gospel being fulfilled by his witnesses under the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So therefore Acts chapter one verse eight is a theme verse for, for uh, the whole book of Acts. I didn't finish the sentence. You could draw a, a circle that passes through Rome or surrounds the entire Roman Empire to see the concentric circles of the gospel going forth. And that also forms an outline for the book of Acts. It's like the first, uh, it's up through chapter 8, verse 1, that is all Judea and Samaria, and including 8, verse 1, chapter 8, verse 1, and all up through the end of chapter 28 is the ends of the earth, right? Verse 9. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Just a moment ago, we talked about the glory cloud, the cloud of the brightness of his presence. It's like It's like the sun hidden by storm clouds. It's the image of of thunder and lightning and storm, a, a, a representative manifestation of the power and the presence of God. And inside the cloud, the brightness of the glory of the sun, the brightness of God. So what then is the cloud? The cloud... If you, if you trace the theme of the cloud of glory or the storm cloud, which is a visual theme throughout the Jewish scriptures, the, the clouds represent the presence, the glory of God, and sometimes the power or the wrath of God also. And there's no separating these, right? Right? Go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 with me, please. A couple of years ago, we studied the first seven chapters of Daniel before going through Romans, before beginning Acts. Daniel said, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. This is happening in Acts chapter one. And to him, let me back up. Right before that, it talks about this terrifying king enthroned on this, he's, he's on a fiery throne and there's a river of fire coming out from him and it's terrible and terrifying and sentence is being passed on a series of pagan empires. In, earlier in the Old Testament, sentence has been passed on the Jewish nation as they uh, departed from the Lord, right? There was an exile. There was another exile. There was a, a return, although a small one. And the temple was rebuilt, although smaller. There was the, the Persian Empire. Before that, the Babylonian Empire, After that, the Greek empire, which surrounded much of the Mediterranean world and such that the Greek language and Greek culture and Greek, uh, uh, like, gymnasiums and theaters, that's Greek stuff, uh, that was all part of their culture, regular Greek life in the polis, the city and the city-state, right? They spread their culture and their way of life throughout the Mediterranean world as Alexander conquered and... The Greek Empire was split up between his four generals. And, uh, and then so you had the Babylonian Empire in the time of Daniel, and later at the end of Daniel's life, the, the Persian or the Medo-Persian Empire. That was conquered, if you've watched any of these old war movies, by the Greek Empire. The Persians, after a long series of wars, were defeated. The Greeks conquered and expanded the territory, covered pretty much all that territory, and took more. And then came Rome. Rome with its violence and its armies, its nearly unstoppable armories. And it was an empire that lasted for a thousand years. Am I getting that right? Historians, help me out. Is that about right? And we are living right in the middle of the time of the Roman Empire here in uh, Acts chapter one. So back in Daniel seven, you have these beasts. These empires we just named are personified as different species, if you will, of beasts. And judgment is being declared, sentences being passed over them. And things are happening like the beast is having its body trampled and it's being thrown into the fire to be burned. Here's this river of fire coming out from the throne of God the Father in Daniel 7. And then we come to Daniel chapter 7, verse 14. There's this man, one like a son of man, and he is brought before this all-powerful judge of the whole earth that's passing sentence on powerful empires that dominated parts of the world for decades and centuries even up to a millennium and he is passing sentence on them and now there's this person being brought before this ancient of days this one who's lived before days began he's ancient even before that he's eternal he's the alpha and the omega and now someone is coming up to him and being presented before him. And for some reason, he doesn't get burned up in the fire, right? And we find, Daniel chapter 7, verse 14, that this Jesus who is being presented before the ancient of days as prophesied in Daniel 7 and as is happening in Acts 1, to him was given dominion and, a, and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. We're going to see the beginning of the outworking of that as we finish going through the book of Acts. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The church will never be conquered, but the church, under the anointing and power of the Holy Spirit, will be granted wisdom, strength, sanctification, greater than what we have within ourselves, but everything we need to take the gospel to all nations, and we shall overcome. And the disciples, Acts chapter 1, verse 10. While they were gazing up into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. In the New Testament, men in white robes are angels uh, uh, bearing some of the glory of God. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? I think this is funny because God could have sent angels to kind of with great dignity and authority said to them, guys, he's going to come back in the same way you saw him go into heaven. But instead, he puts into the mouth of the angels this word for the disciples. Why do you stand looking up at him going into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you, who into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is speaking of the imminent return of Christ. Jesus will return in his resurrection body, coming with the clouds of heaven to judge the earth. The clouds are glory, presence, and judgment. First Thessalonians 4, 16 through 17. And as we're reading this, may we please have the communion servers come forward and be prepared. First Thessalonians chapter 4. Verse 16, after Paul had visited the church in Thessalonica, if you have your maps, it's it's in Greek territory, he wrote to them this letter, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Even as he said, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Thank you, Lord. Please come forward to share in the table of the Lord.